Um, I have been waiting and wanting to win another Grammy uh, for 40 years. My, my, how the world has changed since the last Green Room Door episode. Uh, Yes, we find ourselves in the middle of the quarantine social distancing season of coronavirus 2020. And I hope you and your family are enjoying time indoors and washing those hands and staying safe. And we want to give you some good content to enjoy. So uh, we give you some of these one-on-one interviews with artists making the best music today. Uh, Welcome to Green Room Door, a podcast of UTR Media. I'm Dave Trout. On today's show, so excited to talk to somebody with a large platform and has been known to wear platform shoes through the years, Uh, a name you might recognize even well beyond Christian music. Um, So we'll get into that. But first, uh, in the second half of the show, you're going to want to stick around because we're talking to James Duke, who is... Uh, one of the most influential guitarists in Christian music. Uh, You'll recognize his guitar work on many different artists, but especially the work of John Mark McMillan. Um, And uh, we're going to talk to him about his independent album that he released uh, 10 years ago that's getting reissued called All the Bright Lights. But before we get to that, in the first half of the show, we are so excited to be talking to two-time Grammy Award winner, Gloria Gaynor. And if you're like, wait, 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 Gloria Gaynor? Like the Gloria Gaynor? Yes, the one that recorded this iconic song. one of the most well-known songs in the world. Uh, It went to number one on the charts in March of 1979. Did you know this? It's been recorded as a cover over 200 times. It's been re-released a number of times. Just the original copy in the first two years of its release alone sold 14 million copies worldwide. Crazy. Both Rolling Stones and Billboard named it as one of the top 100 songs of all time. The artist behind that song is today's guest on the first half of the show. Gloria Gaynor is here, uh, and she is back with an incredible gospel album just released in 2019 called Testimony. And just last month, she received a Grammy Award for that album. Oh, it's so good. So let's hear a clip from her song, Back on Top, from her album Testimony. Here's Gloria Gaynor. talking to Gloria Gaynor as our VIP guest on the first half of today's show. And, you know, as an interviewer, we rarely get the honor to talk to somebody who has had such um, an iconic song that is known worldwide. So let me ask you first about I Will Survive. Just your memories, your thoughts about um, just the popularity of that song you know, what it did for your career and, um, and just how you reflect on it now over 40 years later. 
Well, when I first read the lyrics to I Will Survive, I, I knew it was a hit. I was relating it to the fact that I was about to record in a back brace from a recent spine surgery. And the fact that my mom had passed away just a few years prior, that's something I never thought I'd survive. So I was confident uh, and, uh, that the song would resonate with anybody that was going through anything that they thought was insurmountable and, and yet hoped they'd survive. When the song became an international hit, and so quickly, it was exhilarating, it was validating, motivating. It was a blessing and an honor, and it still is. That's great. Well, your latest album is called Testimony. It came out uh, just last year. It's so good, by the way. And uh, I, I'm for those who haven't heard it, um, you're pretty open and vulnerable about you have experienced spiritual transformation and renewal in your life. Um, and I'm just interested if you wouldn't mind elaborating on your personal faith journey um, with with Christ. Well, that's a long story that I hope to tell in a forthcoming documentary of my life. But the short version is that I gave my life to Christ when I was a teenager and when my mother passed away and I felt like the bottom had fallen out, I kind of got lost. I strayed away from what she had taught me about uh, how to live by biblical principles and standards. And um, I suffered from low self-esteem, and, and that allowed me to dabble in drugs and parties uh, to an extent uh, just enough to be accepted by what I considered to be the in crowd. But at one party... Um, my partying was abruptly interrupted by a vivid reminder of how I had strayed from my upbringing. From that night forward, I set out to find my way back until I had an encounter with the Lord that uh, you'll have to see the documentary to find out about. Ah, <laughs> nice. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll definitely be checking it out. Um, but we know the story ends well, right? Um. Suffice it to say that I found my way back, and the journey has been and continues to be uplifting, exciting, and, and there is no shortage of thrills along the way. Well, speaking of thrills, you were able to experience another career milestone um, because you received your first Grammy Award for the song, I Will Survive. And now um, with this latest gospel album, you were able to walk across the Grammy stage once again and receive your second career Grammy, this time for Roots Gospel Album of the Year. Um, how did that feel to uh, to get your second Grammy? Um, I have been waiting and wanting to win another Grammy, uh, as I said in my acceptance speech, to kind of balance out my piano for 40 years. What blesses me most is that for about 30 of those years, I wanted to record a gospel album, but my management kept putting me off, and I didn't get a winner Grammy. In fact, wasn't even nominated for one in a musical category until I did record a gospel album. So I felt great. It, it felt awesome. I, I felt like I was fulfilling my purpose to bring forth music that would share the love, the knowledge, the mercy, grace, and goodness of God uh, with my public. Well, let's dive a little bit more into the album Testimony. Um, where did the, the vision and the concept of this album come together? I believe that my producer, Chris Stevens, was divinely inspired with the concept for the album. He had a vision for what he wanted the album to be, and when he shared it with me, I was all for it. Chris and I wrote all of the songs together except for Precious Lord, The Standard, uh, Man of Peace, uh, the Bob Dylan song, and um, He Won't Let Go, and Joy Comes in the Morning that I wrote with Shannon Sanders and Drew Ramsey. Ah, that's great. Uh, it does just come together so well. Um, well, let's dig into one of the songs on the album, if you don't mind. Can you tell me a bit about the story behind the making of Singing Over Me? Singing Over Me was Chris's idea, although we wrote it together. As we was writing it, I was a little bit concerned about whether or not the concept was biblical. I didn't really want to ask Chris about it because I didn't want him to think I was questioning his faith or his knowledge of the Bible. 
But then one night, um, I went to bed listening to the Bible on my phone app, and I was awakened, and uh, when I woke, what I heard was the scripture being read, uh, which is Zephaniah 3.17, that says, He, meaning the Lord, will rejoice over you with singing. Um, that, of course, set me at ease, and I realized the song was inspired. I'm happy. Oh, yeah. And I sing because I'm free. So, won't you sing with me? I sing because I'm happy. Such a great song, yeah. Singing Over Me is from the album Testimony by Gloria Gaynor, who's our special guest right now. Um, and uh, that song also featured Jason Crabb on guest vocals. You had a lot of amazing special guests on this album. Um, you had, not, we just heard Jason Crabb, also Bart Millard of Mercy Me. You had Yolanda Adams, Mike Ferris, um, how fun was it to record with all these other award-winning artists? Oh, boy. You know, I, I can't begin to tell you what a thrill it was to work with each one of these uh, the writers and singers. They they were all so great, such great people, so easy to like, so easy to work with and create with, and such a pleasure to get to know each one of them. And they had... Between them, more talent than any one of them has a right to. I mean, I I love them all. We we had a wonderful time. Um, the only one that I didn't write with was with was uh, well, no, two of them I wrote with, which was um, um, Bart Millard and Jason Crabb. I didn't write with um, um, Yolanda Adams or Mike Ferris, but they were equally great to work with so talented and like i said i I just love them all (laughs) yeah we love all those artists so um one more question for you and that is um as now folks enjoy and engage and listen to the album testimony um what do you hope that the listener walks away with well i truly hope the christian walks away having been reminded of things that they perhaps haven't really thought about recently concerning the Lord or feeling reinforced in their faith. I I hope the the non-Christian walks away feeling that they've been missing out and that they really have to get to know this Jesus. Um, I hope they all walk away feeling uplifted, inspired, encouraged, and empowered. A mic drop moment, if you ask me, by our guest today, Gloria Gaynor. Oh, what a treat to have her on the show here on Green Room Door. Um, We did interview her um, in February before all the kind of quarantining and social distancing began with the coronavirus. Um, but, But in just recent weeks, she has been using her platform to help people. In fact, on TikTok, which, okay, that proves that she's way cooler than me because uh, (laughs) I I have yet to open a TikTok account, but she's on TikTok and Gloria has started the hashtag I will survive challenge. It's been viewed over 500,000 times and it is basically a public service announcement to help folks be safe, wash their hands more thoroughly and help stop the spread of COVID-19. There you go. Gloria Gaynor just once again using the I Will Survive platform to to really help people. And uh, ah, just amazing stuff. 
Well, if you haven't yet tuned in, you should check out our sister show, The Gourmet Music Podcast, because our latest one is called The Coronavirus Episode. (laughs) Why? Because all the music and spiritual thoughts are really about this crazy season we all find ourselves in, maybe offering some hope and reflection and and just some encouragements at this time. Uh, Plus, we debut, just for fun, the COVID-19 Out of Context Mega Mix. It's a bunch of these song snippets from different artists like Eric Peters, Amy Grant, Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors, um, Need to Breathe, Andrew Peterson, and a bunch more. In fact, 21 artists in all. It's just a lot of fun. It's all on that episode. We're going to link directly in the show notes to that episode so you can check it out if you haven't yet done so. Uh, We're also going to link to Gloria Gaynor's website so you can check out more about her. And we will also link to uh, the Next Artist's website because we're going to be uh, interviewing James Duke in the second half of today's show. He's one of the most influential guitarists uh, in Christian music today. Um, the, the incredible guitar-driven sounds of John Mark McMillan, that is James's handiwork right there. Uh, so um, we're going to talk to him also about an, an instrumental album that he and his band released 10 years ago. It's being reissued. Um, so we got a lot of exciting things on the horizon. Stick around for more on Green Room Door. This UTR Media Podcast is brought to you by the latest EP by singer-songwriter Anthony Quayles. There's a reason that you The Man I Thought I'd Never Be by Anthony Quayles is released through Renew the Arts and shares well-crafted spiritual reflections. You can find The Man I Thought I'd Never Be by Anthony Quayles on Spotify and all music platforms. Hey guys, tune in to the two-hour broadcast of the Rich Mullins Tribute Concert from Escape to the Lake 2017. Hear tribute songs from great artists. If I stand, let me stand on the And stories from those who loved him. He made a real effort to contribute and to make a difference. And that was extremely meaningful to me. So in that way, the the truthiness and the integrity of the way he lived made me feel okay about how, how hard it is to be truthy and filled with integrity. UTR Media's Rich Mullins Tribute Concert. Available now at YouTube or at utrmedia.org. If you are a guitarist or if you are one of those music nerds like I am and you read liner notes on albums, then this may be a name you will recognize. James Duke is our next interview guest. He's one of the most respected and talented guitarists in recent Christian music history, um, known to be an influencer of several different artists. Um, And uh, I just got to meet him and uh, interview him only three weeks ago. But with all that's happened in the world in the last three weeks, it seems like an eternity ago. But nevertheless, here we are. Um, in that time, uh, there's been a special re-release as well because James Duke uh, it was sort of the brainchild behind the band All the Bright Lights, and they had a self-titled album that was a mostly instrumental album that came out 10 years ago. It's being pressed to vinyl for the very first time. It's going to be a 140-gram high-quality release. Um, it's go- through Old Bear Records and Light in the Attic music um we're gonna link directly to that album if you want to order 
the the reissue of All the Bright Lights, and we'll talk to James about that a little bit. Um, he's probably most well known as uh, the lead guitarist and sort of soundscape engineer for John Mark McMillan. Um, in fact, we're going to do a little experiment here. Um, if for those of you who aren't guitarists and don't pay attention to this kind of stuff, I'm going to play a, a one minute clip of a John Mark McMillan song and listen to just sort of the layers of guitars and uh, sort of the amazing tapestry that James has been able to create for John through his career. See what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, we're going to play the song Doors from the project, uh, the self-titled project, All the Bright Lights, at the end of this interview. Um, so uh, without further ado, uh, we recorded this in uh, one of the writing rooms at Centricity Music. Um, here is our interview with James Duke. Let me start by asking you, do you remember the, like, the first guitar you ever owned? Yes, I do. <laughs> My first uh, guitar that I owned, I guess, that became mine, my dad pulled out of our attic. And it was this little Les Paul copy guitar, a bolt-on neck, just real cheap-looking guitar that uh, had been up there. I didn't even know it was up there. And so that was my very first guitar. And so I played that for a little while. Uh, Actually, my younger brother was playing it one time and dropped it and broke one of the tuners off. So it was a little rough to play, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. with only five tuners. Yeah, uh, right. But you know, <laughs> I made the best of it for That's a few great. months. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, what what age did you sort of see yourself like, you know, starting to to really sort of fall in love with with guitar playing? I I would say I was probably 12, 11 or 12 when I started getting interested in guitar and that was about the time that I really started like falling in love with music too. Yeah. Um and so before that I I would, you know, be listening to whatever my older brother and sister would be listening to, you know. So uh I was listening, you know, but when I was younger than I was listening to U2 and Led Zeppelin and The Cure and just, you know, lots of different bands, but all, looking back, it was all great guitar music, you know? Yeah. And so it wasn't even, like, a guitar wasn't even, the guitar wasn't even really in my, in my, uh, I was, it wasn't in, on, on my radar. Yeah, yeah. And, but it was always... I look back now and I realize I was always that was the music I was always most interested in. Yeah. Good guitar driven yeah. music. Yeah. So tell me tell me sort of the steps you took to that you know making guitar making music I guess in general sort of a vocational choice for you. Um I would say when I, I, by the time I was 15, I was 
playing in a, some sort of band, you know, whether it be a band at church or ones I just bands I started with my friends, and so, um, and that that was really like the only thing I was interested in. I um, I, I grew up in Jack in Jacksonville Beach, Florida, and so I would surf some, but I wasn't I didn't love it. I just surfed because my friends did, you know, and. I would do a couple of stuff like that, but uh, playing guitar was kind of the only thing that like I was devoted to, you know. Um, that was like my one hobby, sort of. Mm. And and so I just always have been, I always made a point of looking for opportunities to play music with people. And so it, it kind of just one thing led to another. It wasn't ever like this. For a long time, it wasn't ever just one huge moment. It was just consistently making that a priority. Um, and when I moved, I moved from Jacksonville to Charlotte, North Carolina, to be to be a part of a church and to kind of play music with people up there. And that's where you know I met John Mark McMillan and a lot of the people that I ended up throughout the years playing with and doing a lot of recording with and stuff. And um, it was just relationship driven all the time pretty much for me. And then I stopped working at a church full time and that kind of became the catalyst for yeah. what can I do, you know? And so <laughs> I, uh, I had I'd only been married probably less than a year and I was, I was sort of jobless, and but almost immediately when I would tell my friends what was going on, they would be like, "Well, come out with me for a couple of weeks, and let's mm. do this." And so it kind of just that was the moment, and it just switched careers. And you know, it it took a while. I mean, several years before it became close to making even. Mm sort of decent money you know mm -hmm. but my wife worked and so both of us together you know we could we could make it work and she's always she's always been super supportive so that always helps too but that was probably the moment you know and and then from there it just got busier and busier thankfully yeah yeah now I, like you know i know that you've worked with a ton of artists um yes. i I think I m most know your work through John Mark McMillan. Mm -hmm. So, um, at what point were you were you a part from the beginning with him, like the Medicine Project, or because yeah. um, obviously his music has that very guitar-driven, U two esque, you know, very yeah. um, a very distinctive guitar-driven sound, and so. Um, and I and I kind of learned of you being a part of that, but yeah. I wasn't sure if it was from the beginning. Yeah, even before that, there was he had a couple records out before that, and um, the first record I played on was called the uh, song inside the sounds of breaking down, and and then so f and then from then pretty consistently, I was recording and touring with him. Um, and so, yeah, the medicine was sort of the big yeah. moment where okay. his, he started to get a buzz and it kind of took off for him. Um, but I'd known him for a long time before that, actually. And I, I believe I, the first time I met him, I was up in Charlotte. I'd still in, I was still in Florida at the time, and I was playing this big conference that his church put on. And one of the sessions we were playing it was like the first time he had come up and, and was singing it hmm. maybe like the first song he was real song that he had written you wow know? and I remember even then like just something in it like just really like resonated with hmm. me strong and you know he wasn't as nearly as polished of a songwriter but he still had that like fire that mm -hmm. he has and mm -hmm. I just remember like being blown away yeah. and just being like this guy you know is, has got it and 
and I was like, I want to be a part of that. And yeah. so we became friends, and we would do stuff together. And then he recorded I his very first project, which is long out of print, I, I didn't play on, but I was even around in the studio when he was recording it and hanging out and stuff. So I've got, been with him yeah. for a long time. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other um, artists that, because obviously you would have had a big hand in sort of shaping the sound of John Mark McMillan's music that we know now. Um, Are there other artists that you kind of worked with at the ground level like that where you really helped to develop the sound that we know? Um, Not like that. Not quite like that. Mm -hmm. I was really fortunate with John Mark that he he believed in me just as much as I believed in him, I feel like. And he really kind of let me go, you know, and That's cool. just do, do whatever. Because uh, we, you know, we were really good friends and we liked a lot of the same music and we kind of, and we worked together real closely a lot. And so we kind of just knew each other and, and I felt like it was just one of those relationships, singer and a guitar player, you know. Like, yeah. And that, you know, I've, I've, I've been a part of a lot of other things, too, which I felt like I had a good, uh, contributed a lot to it. But that was, that's the one that I really, like, was able to kind of help sculpt the yeah. vision. And, that's you know, cool. Yeah. Um, sort of want to dig in deeper on is the um the re-release of all the bright lights Mm -hmm. and before we even get into that project in particular um the whole re-release is kind of happening with the old bear records guys and light in the attic and so i just kind of wanted to uh see how the idea of this re-release sort of came about um i i had always kind of wanted to do something special for it and I didn't you know I didn't I never with all the bright lights it's like something I really love love but it's I don't I don't necessarily always have time to devote to that when I'm you know when you're a freelance musician you have to work as much as you can on whatever comes in you know and so I knew it was coming up, and I, you know, I just, and the kind of last year sometime, they reached out and just told me what they were doing and that they wanted to be a part of re-releasing those on vinyl, both albums, actually, but the, and so that was awesome. You know, I've always wanted to come out on vinyl, too, and it just yeah. happened. And yeah. If I understand right, it, you know, it, it is a band you know, a, kind of a a band project, but but it's in many ways really your vision that sort of led the the creative vision of the project. Yeah. Is that is that how it worked? Yeah, um, I it yeah, it was definitely something that just kind of started with me and my brother, kind of just talking about wanting to do something, just make some music, so. mm-hmm. and. I I had been writing songs uh, bef- uh, for a couple of years at that point. Uh, never like anything super serious, but just working on stuff all the mm-hmm. time. You know, when I would go into my music room and just sit down, and I would find myself working on the same little parts that I would, and I would just keep developing and stuff. And so I, and so me and John. I lived in Charlotte, he lived in Atlanta, and when we were growing up, we were always playing music together. And and then he when he moved to Atlanta, um, we weren't, you know, he was doing music there and I was doing music in Charlotte, and and we weren't, hadn't, didn't really have the opportunity to play together as much. And so we just kind of wanted to do a record 
and that was all it was. We were like, let's just make some music. And mm-hmm. so we talked about it off and on. And then one day he called me because it's if I, I I am guilty of just talking about stuff forever, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'll have to, I'll feel like I have the best ideas in the whole world, but I won't ever do them, you know. Just yeah. kind of do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, but he called me one day and he's like, "All right, we're gonna schedule, we're gonna schedule time right now." And so hmm. we worked it out. It's, and I went down to Atlanta, and he had a studio. He owned a studio that him and Jacob uh, operated and worked out of. And so we went there. Uh, I went to I went to there, and we just started. We just started, and it was funny because I think probably the first song we worked on was a song called "Chest of Drawers," and he. We were just kind of sitting there. He's like, "What? Well, what you got?" And I was like, well, "I got this kind of idea." And literally, just they just started a click, pushed record, and I just started layering hmm. stuff. And a lot of the core stuff on that song, like the bones of it, happened just like that before anything else. Just guitar started it. Mm. And I started, you know, making like layers and noise tracks. And then I would start with the main melody, and then I would add more stuff around it and I'd make all these extra noises and I'd go to the chorus and like we really just kind of laid out the blueprint just with the electric guitar and then we'd go and add drums to it and then add bass to it and and it was just and it was all real quick it'd be like give me another track give me another track give me another track and we'd just keep going and going and going so after by the end of that day we had that song pretty much where it was arranged and 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 then we would move on to the next song. Yeah. So I think the first day I went down there, we spent three, four days maybe just kind of doing that. Yeah. And every morning we'd start, be like, what what else? (laughs) And I'd be like, oh, I got this. Or John would say, how about this? And we would just work on it, you know? Yeah. Um, I'd say like uh, probably five of the songs on that record, I had kind of the ideas uh, for it. like so for instance like chest of drawers I had like what I would call like the verse and chorus sections I had I kind of had the uh, that already and then and then where John was really good was I would just put it all we'd put it all down and he'd be like okay well, this section needs something else and so let's work on that what if it's that what if it's this and we would just keep going like that and so we were over the course of a few months, like whenever we could find time, I'd come back down and we would work on it and we'd just keep adding and working and maybe rearranging or whatever. And after, it was probably over eight months that yeah. I worked on that album. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a couple, like, I'm interested in sort of the vision yeah. aspect of this. When you guys were recording or just getting started laying these tracks and things, did you have the vision that? We're going to record an, inst- you know, I mean, there's some vocal yeah. pieces in it, but it's basically an instrumental album. Um, was that sort of the overall vision, or were you sort of thinking, well, maybe we are creating a sound bed for another artist to, you know, did you know no, exactly it was what for us? You knew it was, it was for us for yeah. sure, and that was the whole thing. Is like we wanted to do something for ourselves. Yeah, and. Both of us at that point, I think my brother at that time was in a band that he that he had been a part of, and Jacob, I think, that was the same time. But I, most of the time, we were just so busy working for other people and playing other people's music. Yeah. And, and this was like our time to like get out of the rut and yeah. to really just do whatever we wanted to do. Yeah. And so that was, that yeah. was the goal. That's cool. Um, now... Did you foresee, I mean, a lot of people, there's a lot of artists in bands, a lot of worship teams, a lot of, like, I'm, I'm, there's a lot of people that cite that album in particular as being really groundbreaking and instrumental in, for them to develop their sound. So d- did you foresee the, like, ripple effects that this album was going to have that still, I mean, people are still yeah. say, point back to it as one of the most groundbreaking instrumental yeah. albums 
in, in, in music. I didn't. Yeah. I think, you know, anytime you're like putting something out in the world, you're usually so self-conscious about it and you just don't want people to hate it. Or if they hate it, you don't want them to say they hate it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I, I didn't have, we didn't have any expectations, you know. And I, yeah, we didn't yeah. really. And I, John, John Mark McMillan actually loaned me money to make that record. And my whole thing was, I oh, God, I hope I can pay him back. Yeah. I was like, this will get real awkward if I don't. And honestly, I think I think he believed in me so much he wasn't even worried about it. Wow. But but I remember when I remember when the first like uh, online sales came in, and we were on the road, and I just looked it up, and it was a pretty good amount, a pretty big chunk of what I owed him, and I showed him. He was like, huh. I guess I will get paid back. <laughs> that was like the only <laughs> conversations we had. And, and so, but thankfully, pretty quickly actually, I, I had paid it all back. And that was like, that was like the biggest deal to me. I was like, this is a success already because I didn't ruin a friendship because I can't pay him back money. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I didn't, I didn't. Yeah. I, um, I didn't even listen to that kind of music before we made it, mm. you know, because then, you know, we, people would be like, oh, this sounds a lot like these people, or were you super inspired by the explosions in the sky or cigarettes or whatever, and I mean, I knew those bands, but I didn't listen to them mm -hmm. at all, really, much, I mean, honestly, not hardly at all, and, uh, and so we were just, like, we didn't know that that was music was like a thing. Yeah, we were just doing it. Yeah, and and so, yeah, it was just sort of our outlet for yeah. that year. And yeah, I th but it was it was a surprise when it, it got really good reviews and still people talk about it. And yeah. it's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, because you know, it's, it's like it's. It's a uh, when I listen back to it now, I still really love it, and mm -hmm. and I also love like how loose it is, and it's like we didn't do all the little fixes you do when like you're doubling apart, maybe one slightly off. Like we just left it all, even huh. the, the vocal parts yeah. and stuff, just because we thought it like gave it an energy, and because everything in that whole thing was was very fast and in the moment, and just yeah, you just I was we get inspired and we just keep going and going and going. Yeah. And we're like, this feels great. What do we need to yeah? Do? And so, but yeah, so it was, it was that was just what our creative outlet for that year. Yeah, yeah. I've been dying to ask this question: How do you name an instrumental song? <laughs> well, it's actually really hard because it's really easy to like try to get all poetic and heady about it and then end up looking like a jerk, you know? <laughs> and so, and I was kind of doing that at first when I was naming them, you know, because, you know, like in my, in my heart, those songs, like they all like mean stuff. And so, and like... And so I would like do like a big, you know, like a lot of the post-rock instrumental bands would do and like this long sentence for a title. Yeah. And I'd be like, what about that? I mean, it's hard to name them anyway. Yeah. You know, when they don't, you know. And he would be like, I think you're, uh, I think you're trying a little bit too hard. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're probably right. And so, uh, and so then the whole focus, the whole focus on naming them was to like not, do that not yeah. try to like yeah. make the title more in inspirational than the music you know what I mean? yeah and so um, a lot of times like on that record I kind of named them after where I was when I wrote them mm. kind of what was going on yeah. yeah that's a cool that's a good inspiration point I, I always kind of wondered if it was like you read, you know, you read a line in a novel or a book, and you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna steal that little phrase." Yeah, like it happens. You know, yeah. Like 
Well, for instance, like Chest of Drawers, I got I named it from a conversation that I saw Daniel Lanois and Brian Eno have in Daniel mm. Lanois' documentary. And actually, the section is called Chest of Drawers. And they're just talking about, like, the creative process. And every time I talk about this, I almost cry, so I'll mm. try not to. But <laughs> Brian Eno was talking about he went to, like, this antique store or something in some country or somewhere he was and he saw this chest of drawers and he's said he was looking at it and looking at all the detail that went into it and like just thinking about like the history of it and like the person that made it and all this stuff and he said and I had the thought in that moment that if I let it that chest of drawers could be the beginning of a whole new life hmm and I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Like, mm. and it seems like silly, but a thing to say about a piece of furniture, but it like made so much sense to me, mm. you know? Because you, you never know, like, uh, your situation can change in a second, mm-hmm. you know? And so, I told you it gets me every time. Yeah. But it, like, you have to remember you have to like remind yourself of that so many so much I feel like especially musicians and creative people that can already struggle with keeping keeping their head above water or mm-hmm. or um or just really like staying encouraged and just not losing hope in your situation that you know you can your life can begin again at any moment and your situation can turn around in one second yeah and so yeah that was sort of where I went when he said that because mm-hmm. because that's someone that's claims to be an atheist that doesn't believe at all the same way I believe but just hearing him say something like that I realized like he still believes in hope just like I do mm-hmm. you know and so yeah so that's like yeah. the, what all went behind it. I think that was one of the songs that I had some huge grandiose title for, and my brother was like, nah. <laughs> and so I was like, how about Chest of Drawers? And he was like, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. that's good. That's yeah. awesome. I love that. So um, let, I, let's just wrap up with um, what you're doing now at yeah. Centricity. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I probably could have wikipedia'd you uh before this interview but i'm just interested to know like you know kind of what you do here at centricity and the artists you work with and sort of kind of what your day-to-day is yeah well i have just started um i took a position here on the a and r team to sort of help them head up their focus on worship music and so uh, they it's just been something that was never on their radar too much you know Uh, and so they decided that that's something they wanted to focus on and we just had lots of talks over the last few months and they asked me to come on board and so this is like a new um, it's a new thing yeah but I'm really excited about it uh, I feel like it's gonna be a, a new like inspiring time in my life in a different way but still kind of doing what I've always done which is find people I believe in and help them make mm. their music and so yeah that's yeah I'm excited about that's it. awesome well thanks so much for the time today wow, thanks for having me yeah <laughs> All right, what a fun chat with talented guitarist James Duke um, and his project, All the Bright Lights, um, the original debut project. I think it actually came out in 2009, so it might be a little over 10 years old, but it is being re-released and put on vinyl for the very first time by Old Bear Records and Light in the Attic. You can search it out online. We will put a direct link to that in the show notes so you can um, check it out. It, it, it just came out. The re-release just happened on March 13th. So it's a brand new re-release, um, something great to add to your collection. And we're going to hear um, one whole song, the, the song Doors, 
um, coming up. I think that's track three on the album. Uh, we're going to do that right after we give the outro here on today's show. And we also will link to James Duke's website on the website or on the show notes, uh, as well as our uh, first half guest, Gloria Gaynor. So, of course, thanks to Gloria and James for being a part of today's show. And thank you for listening. You know, these times are really tough on a lot of people. So our heart goes out to anybody who's um, really dealing with the effects directly or indirectly from the coronavirus. Um, our prayers are with you. Um, and, and we're trying to be a little more soft-spoken about our needs here at UTR. Uh, but just know um, that there are some needs that we have. Um, and we're very thankful for folks who might be willing to use some of their you know, tax refund check or the government subsidy check to give to some, some different causes. And uh, we are making a pledge that for all new one-time gifts now through June 1st, we are going to set aside 25% of that gift to go into a special fund that will directly help independent artists who have been adversely affected by um, the quarantining and social distancing and the canceling of a lot of venues and gigs. Um, so it's a tax deductible gift because uh, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. You can get more information at our website, utrmedia.org. You know, I can speak for myself. I need well-crafted, faith-inspired music just to speak into my life, to help give me perspective, to help me have spiritual, emotional, and mental health, especially at times like these in our country. So I'm so grateful for you listening, for checking it out, and for supporting. Um, if you want more content, you can find other podcasts, videos, playlists, articles, all on our website, utrmedia.org. I'm Dave Trout. Thanks for being here. Uh, stick around for that song from James Duke. And this is Green Room Door, a production of UTR Media, an independent, listener-supported nonprofit ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and online at utrmedia.org.